Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brame. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves people living with herpes. If you're someone who's struggling with herpes stigma and want to be connected to any resources such as mental health resources, counseling therapy, or just need to be connected to community, then please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on social media at H on my chest. I am most active on Instagram. It's really easy to engage with people there. Or you can email me at Courtney at SPFPP.org. If you're someone who's benefited from the services of Something Positive for Positive People, if you found this podcast to be of use to you or someone you know, please don't hesitate to consider making a donation to Something Positive for Positive People. You can do so on the website at www.SPFPP.org. My Venmo, Cash App are just Courtney Brame, my first and last name. All one word, no spaces, no special characters, and just put donation in the caption and I'll know what it's for. All right, uh, today's podcast episode, we're probably going to need all 59 minutes and 59 seconds to talk about the topic that I want to bring up today. This is a solo episode and it doesn't have anything to do with herpes, to be honest. Um, I also forgot to say, if you haven't already left a review, please consider leaving a review as well. That really helps us with uh, getting people to find these resources. Okay. Now, I don't know where to really start with this. So I've drawn a diagram in my journal that. I'll, I'll hopefully have it for the artwork of this podcast episode because I think that it very well describes something that perhaps other people may be facing with their identities. At the top of the triangle, if you can picture this in your mind with me, there is cis heterosexual man. And on the lower right angle of the triangle, there's black. And then on the lower left portion of the triangle, there's queer and these are three identifiers for spaces that I occupy based on my skin color obviously I'm black based on my presentation of my beard my stature uh, the way that I do relationships I'm straight and then my advocacy my passion my friendships, my relationships are often like you'll see me engaging with queer content or queer people, queer spaces. So as someone who is a cisgendered, heterosexual, black man who occupies queer spaces, I am going to go out on the limb and say that there are not very many people in a public space or easily visible that have these overlapping externally projected identities. Now, I want you to try and keep up with me here as I go through and explain this. Hopefully the diagram uh, is more put together than what I'm trying to say here, but In this picture of the triangle, again, cisgendered, heterosexual, man at the top, bottom right, black, bottom left, queer, is a triangle. Now, the circle in the middle of that triangle has a huge question mark there. And the question mark is symbolic of how do you integrate these things? How do you shrink down those triangles that are separate of 
three identities, how do you make that one? So I spent some time over the last few days trying to figure out how to bring these three identities that challenge one another together because my blackness challenges my queerness, my queerness challenges my cis heteronormative, my cis heterosexual um, manliness, and that challenges my blackness as well. So there's this triangle that has this reciprocal uh, challenging that goes on just by default. So the way that this may show up is like in black communities, I do a lot of things that aren't black people shit. So like queerness is an expression of what we would consider to be, oh, you know, black people don't do that. Black people don't do non-monogamy. Black people don't uh, talk about real shit, talk about their feelings out there publicly because people may use that against you. And that there's a little bit of overlap between the what it means to be black as well as what it means to be a cisgendered heterosexual man to some extent and that expression of vulnerability so like i consider masculinity healthily like natural organic masculinity has the integration of femininity in it as well so when i say cisgendered heterosexual let's let's use masculine instead so we'll we'll expand a little bit more but i feel like masculinity is much more definitive than cisgendered heterosexual man like the masculine is drawn to the feminine right so typically it's man woman is how it's been traditionally upheld and my being challenges that like with gender norms um i have already expressed on here that i've had a ton of financial insecurity and to me that has conflicted with and has been something that i had to lean into and challenge for myself like why do i have such a problem with um or why why am i so attached to my identification as someone who makes money who is able to um, provide the luxuries that come with uh, stable financial status right what does it mean when I don't have money am I less of a man or if I'm like waiting on my next paycheck or if I'm unable to spend the way that I want to spend you know like what what does that mean for my identity so having to challenge that alone like I find myself in a position where, all right, I date women who do make a lot more money than me. I date women who don't want to cook and clean, who might not want to have kids, right? So what does this mean for my manliness? What does this mean for my masculinity? And challenging that, it don't mean it doesn't mean anything. This is an identifier that is projected onto what it means or i'm allowing for it to project onto me what it means to be a man what it means to be masculine now let's take it over into black right as we look at what it means to be black and we talk about like i'm open about my herpes status i don't know any other black men at least who are open about their herpes status who are open about such vulnerabilities like we don't it's very not normal for us to challenge or even speak about vulnerable things like that's not what we do and you know even my grandfather my dad even like we don't talk about feelings that's not what we supposed to do and that's kind of the general overlap with um being manly masculine and black is that i directly challenge both of those 
with vulnerability. I talk about mental health. I talk about sexual health. I talk about my own shortcomings as someone who is marginalized for various uh, overlapping identities, being a black man in America who occupies queer spaces, like all of these things stack on top of one another and make for uh, like this compounded traumatized, marginalized, not traumatized, marginalized um, identity. So black masculinity in that sense of the way that I do it, it's challenged because again, masculinity is integrated with femininity. So I'm emotionally aware, I'm emotionally supportive. And the things that you look at masculinity and in like opposition to femininity, it, it, why, why can't you have both? Like, why does masculinity have to be the absence of femininity? And why does black have to be the absence of what white people shit and what it means to be queer, which we can just go ahead and smooth transition over to the queer portion, because um, it was the way that I'm going to define queer here as the conscious challenging of social norms, the dissolution of the status quo essentially like rejecting that uh i hosted a podcast called selfed um during the time that something positive for positive people was on hiatus and during that time i probably uploaded 35 podcast episodes and i really got into like just self-reflecting on things in one of the episodes uh i was looking at what it meant to be queer and that there's normal as like your baseline in the center and then like on one side you have queer and then on the other side you have crazy right so i think it was like crazy queer or something like that but queer by definition in that case not subscribing to normal crazy as other people would project it onto someone as not being normal but in an unconscious way so i've looked at queerness as all right i'm consciously going into and accepting that i reject social norms so i am consciously choosing to not be normal that's queer but when you're unaware that your actions are uh are not normal or people are projecting onto you and you're rejecting the idea of being who you are maybe that's what crazy is so like in playing with that idea that crazy in the way that we use it is just not normal but queer in the way that we use it is also not normal. One's just conscious and the other one tends to be something that's more so like projected onto you. Like you're just not you're you're at conflict with who you are because it doesn't match up what it is that is normal. There's an acceptance in queerness, whereas there's an ongoing rejection of being different and being crazy. Right. So. On that episode, I don't know that I'll share those episodes. I removed it because um, I'm back here to something positive for positive people. And the solo episodes here do really well. And while I used to think that there wasn't a place for this dialogue on something positive for positive people, I've come to see that a lot of the solo episodes have been very well received, downloaded. I get feedback on those all the time. So thank you all for continuing to support You know me just being real and coming in and talking about my experience as it relates because i feel like you know the herpes conversations are 
necessary, they're relevant, they're valid, but that's not exclusively what I want for people to be able to come here, get, and then take away. Like, I want people to understand, like, there is so much more to the world than just herpes. And for me, having herpes is something that sent me down this road of understanding my identities. That's why we're looking at this triangle here between masculinity, blackness, and queerness. And so as a straight man, I don't feel like I belong in queer spaces. And as a, you know, the way that I date is queer, uh, I feel like (laughs) that doesn't fit into black spaces. And I want to share what sparked this conversation. I want to thank the person who reached out to me and pointed this out. So on one of my recent posts, I shared some screenshots of my dating profile uh, just to show how you can sort of disclose your herpes status or filter people who would be receptive to a conversation or dialogue around your herpes status so that you're, you're filtering in better and you're kind of like easily, you know, just putting it out there that you are someone who values your sexual health and you have a positive status. This person pointed out to me that in my description of my profile, what I shared, uh, there was a phrase that said queer friendly. And in their questioning, they were like, you know, I wouldn't swipe on you if I saw that. How would you feel if someone had black friendly? And I kind of like tilted my head a little bit at the response. I was like, like, that's everywhere. Like black lives matter or BLM being in dating profiles. And what that says to me is that you're someone who is like, if I looked at you, I would see white woman, cisgendered white woman. Right. That is what I would see on somebody that has BLM in their profile. If you don't have that, then how do I how are you able to articulate to yourself, to me, that you are someone who is aware of social justice issues, who does date outside their race? I really don't have any identifiers. And if you were to look at me and not see queer friendly, you'd have whatever your Uh, perception is of a black person of a heterosexual person I can't tell you how many times like I've fixed my lips to say things to white people older white people and they don't expect for me to be able to communicate the way that I do so being able to put out there in a way that says hey like you're safe here because there may be trauma for some people around men there may be misconceptions or past judgments on uh, someone who's dating black men. I can't tell you like how many, like even in relationships, the idea of what it means to date a black man is sometimes just ingrained in a person and without knowing the right questions, without exchanging dialogue, like I got two or three pictures and that little bit of section on my profile to sell you on why you should swipe right on me. And it's very important to me that I put out there that I am queer friendly. Like I said, queer as a label doesn't fit well for me. While I may be queer in my politics, queer in dating, it just it doesn't fit as a heterosexual person. And I'll continue to go uh, a little bit further into that uh, because I'm sure if you're someone who listens to this podcast, one of the questions that you're likely asking is, well, who who defines that for you? Like who tells you you're black or not black enough who tells you you're queer or not queer enough who tells you you're a man or not man enough there's no there's no holy bible of what it means to uh, express an identity but what there is is this expectation from society 
of what it means. And I'm sitting here for the last few days and I've been like, my identities, my identities, my identities. Are these my identities or are these social constructs that have been projected onto me and expectations that I've chosen to subscribe to, whether consciously or unconsciously? So as I navigate the conversation with this person, you know, these are kinds of things that are coming up for me. Uh, one of the questions they asked me was, well, you know, what, what does a queer person behave like? And in my head, I default to like dressing in rainbows, being open to having sex with people of other genders, identities, orientations, like the words. Um, I, I don't want to use the wrong words, so I just used all of them there. Um, and. You know, I it that it hit me because I'm like, you know, I wouldn't challenge your queerness. Why would you challenge my straightness? Right. This was a thought <laughs> that occurred. Like, I like what I like. You like what you like. And whatever opportunities have come to explore that, uh, like, I know that I don't have an attraction to male identifying people, men identifying people like, listen, I choke and gag on bananas and brushing my teeth i can't suck a dick like let's just put that out there right now like i know that and i'm not really keen to like masculine voices i'm not keen to like facial hair like there's just i'm attracted to what it is that i'm attracted to and energetically whenever the conversations get there i do consider myself to be demisexual Mostly, <laughs> mostly demisexual. When there's emotional connection, emotional safety, I'm there. I'm all for it. I'm all in it. And those are the strongest connections that I have. And that's what I'm drawn to at an energetic level. But like physically, I have the attraction to more of what's, I guess, deemed feminine, if you will. And so, yeah, like I, I like what I like. And that's that. So challenging my sexuality or just like con being on board with the politics of my dick like I have to obey the politics of what makes my dick hard and I got that from David Wraith uh, who's in St. Louis shout out to David Wraith for putting that terminology out there but I think I also heard him say this phrase hetero queer because he's queer in his politics and I was like damn I really like that but even then you know Here's another label that I'm creating, and I believe that labels are attached to expectations and they don't belong to people. Labels and expectations don't belong to people. They belong to things. They belong to places like I expect when I go to a desert that it's going to be dry. I so it's a desert. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that's probably a poor example. But institution wise, um, looking at what it means to be a trauma informed which is a label organization, you should expect to go in there and have trauma informed treatment by all employees. And if that expectation isn't met, you should be able to speak up and say something. But it's assumed that whether a person's black or white, whether they're straight, queer, you're going to get trauma informed care as a label. So black as a label. Right. When you see black, like what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? What does that mean to a black person from another country? Or from another like state I'm from the Midwest I live in the Pacific Northwest someone who's black in the south versus someone who's black on the east coast we might have varying definitions of what being black looks like same thing for being a man because like I'm out here now and like I said like I'm used to opening doors for partners I'm used to paying for dinner and like 
all that shit went out the window. <laughs> so my idea of what it means to be a man, what it means to be heterosexual, what it means to be queer, what it means to be black, all of these things have been challenged since stepping outside of my, let's call it comfort zone, since exploring my own identities. Like these have all been things that have ongoingly been challenged. So in this person, you know, asking me about what it means to queer friendly, be queer friendly, I had to ask myself, damn, you know, okay, well, what does that mean? And me presenting as I'm six foot, I'm about 250 pounds and I'm a black man and I have facial hair, I'm fairly muscular. So I have this stature of being, you know, potentially intimidating. So I have to consciously make myself less threatening. So queer friendly is a way of making myself less threatening digitally. I walk by people on the streets and I smile or I say, hey, good morning, good afternoon. You know, I, like, I don't always want to fucking speak to people to make myself seem non-threatening to keep somebody from walking across the street or clutching their purse tighter. Like th this is shit that I am aware of and I've had to just incorporate into my identities as someone who looks the way that I do. Like I have to create a sense of safety for people around me. And the best way to do that is to be non-threatening. Now we got to wear masks like all the time. So how can I come off as non-threatening with a mask on in public? Like now I got a good morning, even louder. Hey, how, how's it going? Even louder. Right. Whereas before I could just smile and people would be like, oh, OK, he smiled. He must be one of those friendly ones. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was that, that was unnecessary. <laughs> I'm being petty. But uh, yeah, so looking at going back to the triangle, um, this idea of masculinity being excluding femininity, this idea of black excluding vulnerability, this idea of queer excluding straightness. The question mark that I have that connects all three of these is. How do I integrate these three identities? And as I started to do that, I drew, I wrote words in here. I wrote stigma. I wrote able-bodied. I wrote uh, finances. I wrote privilege. And then finally, I got to what the core of it is. I'm trying to condense these three angles of identities down into a sphere of a whole new identity that integrates these aspects of myself. And that's not even what it's about. It's not about bringing it together. It's not about adding things. It's about removing things, healing. As I heal, as I reflect, as I challenge these identities and these aspects of my life, I am trimming away the outlines of this triangle down into what this sphere is. This sphere isn't an integration of society's expectations. It's the chipping away of it. Think about a stone structure statue. Like you just got a big ass piece of marble. And whatever the artists were back in the day that had a hammer and chisel, when they created the art that was, they didn't add anything. They removed what was already there to uncover the core of what that marble slab was, which was the the stone statues, structures, the the, the naked people like the you know what I'm talking about, when, like the bodies, the people that um, Greek. I'm thinking about Greece, like the Greek. Um, gods and things like that that were made out of stone that's what this process of healing is healing is chipping away at what doesn't work for you 
those external societal expectations that are projected onto you that you feel like you have to subscribe to and call your identity. I challenge you to chip away at those. Like, what's your triangle of identities? What are three things that you identify with? You can look at your sexuality. You can look at your femininity or masculinity. You can look at your color. You can look at your financial status, social status. Like, take three identities that really sit with you and do the same thing. Like, in what ways do they conflict? In what ways don't you belong? Because I feel like I don't belong in a lot of the spaces I'm in. And maybe that's normal. Maybe we all at our core feel like we don't belong. And that's how we all should feel. We should all feel like outsiders in a way. Because we do challenge social norms that aren't ours, like the beliefs that have been instilled in us by our families, our environments, our parents, our uh, caregivers, our communities, like we were conditioned and these layers of, you know, what what is the those identities have been added to us to the point where we don't even recognize our core, our core of who we are, our core values, our core identity. And that's where this question mark is that's in the center of this triangle of healing. Healing is being able to chip away and challenge those other angles, those outer angles of who you think you are. And when I get to the core of it, like I look at like that core is the disruption and challenge of the status quo, the challenging of and disruption of the status quo. This isn't a sphere in the middle. This is the core of who I am. That's one's identity because we are unique. No one has had the same collection of exact experiences that you have, that I have. Subscribing to this belief that who we are is contingent on how manly we can be, how much money we can make, how black we are, how cool we are, how queer we can be. Fuck that shit. (laughs) You know, if you want somebody to get to know you, then do what you got to do in order to get to know them or let them get to know you. Like share space, be present, like have dialogue, be willing to welcome in people of various you know, identities that they subscribe to, but like, let's, let's see one another. Let's have, let's create spaces that give people the opportunity to demonstrate their uniqueness. You know, just because I am in a queer space, you know, doesn't mean that based on societal expectations, you know, I have to have the same beliefs or expression that someone else may have. Just because I'm a cisgendered, heterosexual man doesn't mean that I subscribe to the traditional values of masculinity. Doesn't mean I'm, you know, inherently aggressive or alpha. And just because I'm black don't mean I don't like white people shit. I love glass animals. (laughs) That's probably, uh, not to say that's the whitest shit that I've done. I love Beat Saber. (laughs) Right? And... I also like I date non-monogamously and this is something that challenges social norms and that's a big part of my life the way that I date the way that I do politics the way that I um, navigate my passions the communities that I spend the bulk of my time in are 
primarily queer spaces. This is not about the integration of multiple identities. It's not about subscribing to identities. And labels do a great job of being out there in order for people to find community and see where they belong. But I still believe that they should be applied to institutions. They should be applied to systems so that people know that they can get the resources, care, community support that they need from these organizations and the people there ought to be drawn there because they are accepting of what those identifiers mean. But your identity isn't what you think your identity is. It's not adding to, it's stripping away from till you get to your core. And the way to get to our core is by healing, by reflecting. This is just a journal prompt. I drew this triangle because of a conversation that I had. And if we're not willing to welcome in conversations with people of various lifestyles who don't live like us, act like us, you know, or even are from the same places of us as us, then how do we evolve? How do we expand? How do we live? Like, I'm grateful at this point for the experiences that have come after my herpes diagnosis because I wouldn't have met the people who introduce me to what it means to challenge the social the the status quo to challenge the social norms that have just been given to me like I, I didn't subscribe to this shit like I didn't ask for it it was just there you know I'm 33 years old now and I remember when I was 20 I wanted to be married and have or be on my way to having four five kids because I'm one of five and now, shit, I'm 33. I done made it past that point. And after doing all this challenging, like, it's more important to me that I do this work, that I encourage and inspire others to, you know, do this work within themselves if they choose to. If you do want five kids, yay, go for you. Good, good for you. If you don't, yay, good for you, too. Like, it's okay for you to want what it is that you want. And you might not feel like you belong where you are. You might not feel like you fit in where you are. And I want you to know that that is okay. Like transcending this duality of belonging or not belonging, you should just be able to be. I had to look down at the timer. <laughs> I know we only got 59 minutes, but it's only been 30 now. I'm very surprised with myself. I'm I'm pleased with having been able to do this. But the the inner conflict is actually more so of an outer conflict. We have this conflict between our core of who we are, our beliefs, our real beliefs, and then the external um, reminders that who we might believe ourselves to be is wrong. And that's not cool. That's not fair. Because what's right is for you to be able to challenge what it is that doesn't sit right for you. And in my experience, like that's what a lot of the, the queer communities and people, friends that I've made have been a part of is this challenge challenging their sexuality challenging the things projected onto them that they just may not agree with and being brave enough to say no that doesn't actually sit well with me i'm gonna go a different route and i'm gonna find that route on my own like that that bravery is admirable because it's not easy and it's isolating it can be lonely to know that you don't fit in somewhere 
and then walk away from where you don't fit in to figure out where you do. And in that wandering and that self-reflection and the challenging of beliefs with behaviors. That's how we get into recognizing who we are at our core. And when you recognize that, you realize, oh, there is nobody like me. I am me. Because when I drew this, I was looking for role models. I don't fucking have one. All my role models are animated characters. And Childish Gambino. And Stan Lee, who's dead. But like, other than that, (laughs) I don't know that there's representation of cisgendered, heterosexual black men who date queer and someone same person pointed out to me they were like when you say queer friendly i just think that you only fuck cis women who fuck cis women and that's never even crossed my mind (laughs) because i i still ain't had a successful threesome (laughs) so that doesn't like that doesn't to me mean anything when i think queer friendly i think all right i'm able to have these kinds of conversations i think sex positivity i think body positivity i think uh social justice i think activism i think the rejection of things as they are so that is my way of filtering similar wavelengths even if i'm not doing queer acts whatever the fuck that would mean to someone the the energy is there the energy and the willingness to resist the status quo. To come up with my own path of being. So this is me putting myself out there, not necessarily as that role model, but like as that that mirror of or for anyone who might be in a similar boat. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be masculine. You don't have to be queer to have three main identifiers that resonate with you in your identity or identities and challenge those like how do these how do these support one another how do they conflict with one another what i did was i took three things about myself on the surface that i know to be true and i know that they conflict with one another i am vulnerable i have no problem stepping into my masculinity when i need to or my femininity when i need to i have no problem with stepping into my variations, my various blackness, whatever the fuck that means, because a lot of it is like conditioned for survival, like me now having to be non-threatening, but I'm also ethnic and hip and I'm cool and I got swag and culture, like there's all this to it. And then there's the whole like how as a black person I show up sexually, that conception, misconception, conception, perception, perception is the word I meant to say. But like you don't notice unless you communicate and using queer friendly was a way of communicating that. Wow. Okay, I hope y'all didn't hear that. Somebody just drove by with their music all aloud. But yeah, I, I feel good about where this is. I guess I didn't need the entire 59 minutes and 59 seconds to make my point. Um, but I, I'm curious to know what your feedback is, if you have any. Um, If you listen to this podcast episode, you'll know that it's different than other podcast episodes that have been done. Um, Herpes has only come up, you know, just as something that sent me down this path. And of course, you know that the nonprofit organization is supporting people with herpes. We serve people with herpes. Um, I reached out to my board members and this will be where I want to close up here um, on the podcast as a whole. But 
Um, I've been listening to this book. I mentioned this in an earlier episode called Forces for Good. And this is about nonprofit organizations, the top 12 nonprofits in the United States that do six things well. I can't tell you what one through five are, but I remember being like, yeah, we're doing that. And then when it got to six, I was so disappointed and heartbroken that number six is something that I can't ask of people um, to inspire advocacy from within the community. And so I looked at my board and a lot of my board members in the past have not been like they've had my back, but I need them to have my side. I need them to be with me in my activism. And I recognize in hindsight, like I have tried to make this shift into exclusively mental health and speaking about STIs more rather than herpes as like a smoke screen to protect my board members, the ones who did have herpes in the event that they were found out, if you will, and by association with this organization, potentially facing some sort of stigma. And even in relationships, like I've allowed, I've allowed partners to have me in this like internalized stigma state to where we'd be at like family dinners or something and the relative would ask me how my day was and I know that my partner's not really okay with me talking about herpes. So I'll just say, oh, I woke up, trained people and it was good. Rather than being like, man, you know, I, I someone who was in therapy hit me up. We talked and they told me how grateful they were for the support of a therapist who understands what it means to have herpes and support this person in disclosing their status and having a meaningful relationship and getting out of an abusive relationship and not killing themselves, putting down those those pills or putting that gun away. Like these are conversations I have on a regular basis. And it's like, damn, dude, I can't tell my partner's family, this person who's so important to me, like. I have to hide those kinds of things. And that was extended into my reflection of my board members. And I need for my board to be next to me, not behind me, but supportive in a more hands on role. And it's my fault because I've not wanted to bother anybody or be too much of an inconvenience with them. So I haven't asked for anything. I haven't asked for much. But now it's at the point where I recognize that my quietness about what it is is something positive for positive people is, which is a resource that serves people living with herpes. Like I need that advocacy and I'm using my privilege to overcompensate for those who don't have it. For those who want to support, for those who want to have their voices heard, but just can't like that's what this podcast is. It's a safe space for people to come on. And I, I appreciate y'all's bravery, trusting me with your voice, trusting me with your identity, trusting me with your anonymity to put it out there and your experience out there into the world for other people to feel supported. Like that's where the advocacy comes from. And I kind of like, you know, lost sight of that in reading this book because I'm like, fuck, man, our success is going to be contingent on people's willingness to confront stigma in this way that there are testimonies out there about how supportive and helpful something positive for positive people is. And that's not necessary. Like, I know what kind of fucking impact I have. And, you know, part of this H on my chest thing, like I the H is hero. That's one of the things that the H stands for. And I feel like a hero in the sense of, you know, 
Goku, Batman, Superman, they'll save people. And, you know, they shouldn't have to have a person rave about, oh, Superman did the right thing. They should be expected to do the right thing. Like, that should be the standard. Let's put standards on doing the right thing. And this feels like the right thing. Like, I don't I don't need the praise. I mean, it would help the organization if someone were like, hey, I was feeling like the stuff that I hear in DMs privately. You know, to be able to I put some of it out there, but I can't put everything out there. Like I may not get consent from the person to do it. Um, it may not feel right because it would feel like bragging. They may have their names in the, the posts or the conversations that are had or just conversations. But I share what I can when I can. And part of being a hero is that shit. Sometimes being a hero is thankless. Sometimes I'll talk to somebody for weeks, for uh, hours over the course of those weeks. And this might be a successful business person who just, for whatever reason, like take, take, take and doesn't want to reciprocate with a donation or a testimonial or a podcast review or sharing a resource. And that's stigma. Like all of that is just centered around the stigmatization of herpes. Like I hands down serve the most stigmatized group of people for people with HIV. There are all kinds of organizations out there that can offer a lot more than what I can. I can offer you a listening ear. I can offer you a podcast. I can offer you connection to community. That's it. (laughs) That's all I got. We're not building homes. We're not putting people whose homes burned down into new homes. I'm not cleaning water. We're not distributing food to the foodless. We are serving people who are living with herpes and struggling with stigma. And that's what I have like my board now understanding. Like I need for my board to be able to speak to this and say that sentence without any internalized stigma. Because now, I mean, to be honest, I didn't trim all the fat that would keep me from being able to do that myself. And now I get to be louder about this shit. I get to continue to have the impact day to day, the private messages, DMs. Sometimes I'll get some media coverage. Sometimes I'll get a little bit of praise that may help with exposure of something positive for positive people. But I need my board to act as an extension of this organization, too. I need them to be proud of the work that we're doing. And I need to be better about checking in with them and letting them know about these behind the scenes conversations that I'm having so that they're aware of the impact that's being had so they can go out there and say, yeah, we serve people with herpes proudly. And when other people ask, well, what does that look like? I want them to be able to speak to the interconnectedness of sexual health and mental health, the importance of STI minimization, which is a more inclusive form of STD prevention. We need that. And advocacy, like if you are someone who is feeling like called out right now because stigma keeps you from getting as involved as you would like to. That's okay. That's what I'm here for. You know, like pour into my privilege. Whether that be being a guest on the podcast, whether that being sharing it, whether that mean donating Or if that just means disclosing the potential partners and also inviting them into sexual health checkup dialogue, check-in dialogue. So that that's what inspiring advocacy looks like. And it took for me to, you know, just disconnect and get out of my my ego about it because it's like, damn, dude, like I know how impactful this work is 
why don't other people, the people who are impacted by it know, but it's like, you know, come get what you need and then move on. Like herpes is so insignificant once people get past it that I think that I just get forgotten about. And I mean, that's the reality of it. That's how it's supposed to be. I want people to come take what they need and then move on. And I know that, you know, the metric of success, that sixth thing that the 12 most successful nonprofits in the United States do. I know that I got five of those and I know that the sixth one is happening, but I don't need the praise. I don't need the money in order for it to continue to be successful. I've been I do the most with the least. I got a laptop. (laughs) I got a podcast mic. I got a website and I got some apps. Like, that's how I do this. And I have a damn good community of people behind me who are willing to feed their energy into this. So if the donations come, yay. If the media comes, yay. But if it doesn't, I can still be consistent. I can continue to publish episodes of this podcast to serve as the support resource for people who are struggling with uh, with navigating herpes stigma. And that consistency is what it's about. So um, that that's that's it. Like, that's the update. I wanted to share that um, our board now consists of Dr. Lex James Brown, Elise Myers, who uh, uh, she want. Oh, wait, we'll have the board meeting by then. So I could say this. Elise is going to get senior board member status because she's been here since day one through all of the different board members who shuffled in and out. And now we're going to have like a solid foundation. But uh, we also have Dr. Evelyn Dacker, um, who is huge on stars. If you listen to episode 99 on Disclosure, you'll hear about stars. You can watch her TED Talk, Dr. Evelyn Dacker Stars. Type that into YouTube. We've got Dr. Ina Park, who is the author of Strange Bedfellows, um, the book uh, on STIs and stigma. We've also got Ray from positive results if you've been in a women's support group then you've got to know about ray and then we also have ooh, tessa robbins son robin's son is another board member who's a member of the national coalition of std directors and she's also here local in portland along with myself ray and dr dacker um, and she's going to be supportive in helping me find and apply for grants and then we have drum roll please wait we got hold on i gotta count oh jordan uh, i hope i hope that jordan gets approved so jordan Danelle jones the podcast host of vaginas vulvas and vibrators or vulvas vaginas and vibrators and she's super involved with networking and super supportive and involved with and proud of something positive for positive people. And we just we, we need that. So wait, let me make sure I got everybody. We got Lex, Evelyn, Ray, Tessa, Elise, Jordan. There should be a seventh person. Oh, my God. I am going to feel like a terrible person if I no. Nope, that's it. I think I said Ina, Ina, Evelyn. Ray, Tessa, Lex. <laughs> ah, I'm so bad. I'm going to have it on the website. So after we have our board meeting, because everyone still needs to get um, inducted into the board. So we'll have time for that. Um, and yeah, I'll have to like link to that 
page of the Something Positive for Positive People website. So thank you all for listening. I really, really, really am interested in hearing what your feedback is of this episode. If this is something that does or does not belong here, let me know. Um, I kind of just continue to guide the ship according to the feedback that I get and what it is that I feel called to speak on. So yeah, let me know what y'all think. And again, if you feel like you've gotten something out of these resources, if you got something out of this podcast episode, I'm just Courtney Brame on Cash App and Venmo, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-B-R-A-M-E. No spaces, no hyphens, no special characters, no numbers. It's just Courtney Brame, first and last name, all one word on Venmo and Cash App. PayPal is just paypal.com slash SPFPP. Please remember that we also have a Patreon page if you want to uh, donate on a regular basis and don't want to think about it. You can subscribe for a monthly donation amount of your choosing. Patreon subscribers don't get anything special. I believe that these resources need to be accessible to and for, for everyone who is looking for them. Part of the challenge in my experience was that it took me four and a half years to find any resources at all. It took me four years to find community. It took me four years. And then even after I started this podcast, it took me longer to start connecting with people who were doing similar advocacy work. It shouldn't be as big of a challenge as it is to find these resources. And that's why I choose to not put any paywall behind what's out there. But um, it does help. It supports me. Um, when you support this organization or if you can flip it around if you feel like you want to support Courtney then you can do that but just write donation in the comments and all of it's going to go into something positive for positive people in order to continue the advocacy and the ongoing efforts of serving our community till next time stay sex positive